Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesleyan Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. All of our Mondays look different, and this is the last part of our series called Made for Mondays, where we look at God's God's action the rest of the week, not just Sunday morning. And we're going to look at, in Scripture, somebody who's kind of famous, uh, David and Goliath. Does David ring a bell for, for most of you? Nod your head. Oh, yeah, I've heard that David and Goliath sort of thing. Yeah. We're going to look at David's life and, and just the start of it here where he encounters this giant named Goliath. The, word, the, the name Goliath was just a name, but now we just equate it with this mon- monstrous sort of person or a Goliath task, something that, that seems so very difficult to overcome. And so we're going we're gonna to look at David, but his life didn't just start with Goliath in the scripture. We don't hear about David only when he goes to take on this enemy of Israel, this, this huge man. We hear about him in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where he's just one of seven boys. He's the youngest of seven boys. And God has set this this man named Samuel, who's a leader, who's a judge, who's a prophet in Israel, to anoint him king over Israel, the next king over Israel. And so David, from a very young age, knows that he's going to be king over Israel. Now, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, but... Don't you wish you could have that? Like, why did you become a nurse? Well, some weird, crazy-eyed guy came into my house when I was young. He poured some oil over my head and said, you're going to be a nurse. I mean, that'd be weird, but for many of us, we're like, please let there be some crazy-eyed guy come into my house and tell me what I need to do with my life. What is my, what is my calling in life? What is my vocation? I mean, aside from the crazy eyes, we would, we would welcome it. So how do we know where God is leading us is probably a question that many of us have asked. Well, next week we're going to start a sermon series called All the Places to Go, How Will You Know? And we'll talk a little bit about that. See what I did? That's a teaser for next week. You'll come back and be like, ooh, I wonder. But David, you know, we can't talk all what what's happening leading up to chapter 16, the first king of Israel. Saul had been disobedient to God, and God was bringing a replacement, a man after his own heart, David. But God had placed a clear calling on David, a life calling. I really believe that's more important than our job, and that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And so David has this knowledge, he's going to be king one day. But there's this guy named Goliath. There are these people named the Philistines. The the enemies of Israel had lined up against Israel, God's chosen people. I'm going to summarize for you most of chapter 17, but I'd encourage you to, to read it. This afternoon, read it if I get boring right now. Just follow along as I, as I pull out some key verses of scripture here. But God's people are fighting the Philistines. These are the bad guys. Uh, say, boo, Philistines. Boo, yeah, that's, nobody, nobody cheers for Goliath. You cheer for the underdog. But really, they're God's people. And so they're lined up against each other. And Goliath, the giant, comes out from the Philistines. And he says, why, why should we all fight? Why don't just one of you fight, I don't know, me? You know, this, this guy who's nearly 10 feet tall, 
calls out to Israel and says, let's just settle it this way. Everybody doesn't have to die here. We'll just settle the conflict this way. As you can imagine, not a pe- lot of people volunteered to go out against this, this 10-foot-tall giant who had armor that weighed more than most of us. And so David's older brothers have been called to this battle with Israel, but David is held back. He's not to join the battle. You know, a lot of us think that God's called us to something, but there's difficult people in our way when really God may be using difficult people to bring him glory as they're overcome. It's a different way to look at people who you work with, who are in your family, who are in your home, who are making life difficult for you, who are making atmospheres toxic, is to think, how might God use this situation? So, well, David is steered clear of a place that I think he ought to be as the next king of Israel. He is, he is steered away from a difficult time. We should learn you know what? Sometimes the battle is exactly where we're supposed to be. The fight, the enemy is the one we've got to go. We've got to go face. Malcolm Gladwell, a Canadian and a great author, writes about David and Goliath. He even gives a little TED talk that's kind of interesting as he looks at the the scenarios there with David and Goliath, and he looks at all of history and how, how David has overcome Goliath so many different times and so many different areas of the world, whether it be real armies or whether it be in the business world. And I don't know much about Malcolm Gladwell's um, his spiritual life, but he seems to leave out the fact that God was on David's side. But he does point out some amazingly you know, interesting things about David, this, this hurler, not an archer, but he's, he's somebody with the old-fashioned artillery going against heavy infantry. And David doesn't fight fair. So many of us, we're, we're worried about appearances. David's worried about winning. We're worried about following the customs and the norms. He says, you know what? I feel pretty good. In a knife fight, I'm a sniper. You know, like, I, I'm not going to get close enough where you can stab me with your, with your sword. I'm not going to get close enough you can stab me with your spear. I'm going to knock you out from 90 feet away, 100 feet away. People at this time in the world could, Romans in the, in the manuscripts we have of training their warriors for battle, they would practice it 200 yards. And David, a shepherd boy, in the land of Israel, where there's no shortage of stones, would have had ample time to practice. People say that, that those who have used a sling, not a slingshot, don't picture like a rubber band. Those with a sling who are skilled could knock birds out of the air. He's throwing a 99 mile an hour fastball when he lets go of one of the strings of that sling. And so it's really amazing what he does here. And Malcolm Gladwell He says this, giants are not what they seem. Obstacles are not as insurmountable as they look. And so before David even faces Goliath, he faces four other giants that we face, not named Goliath. The first thing that he faces is delay. His dad holds him back. Do you know some of the people who will hold you back first? Or your family. 
Some people who hold you back love you the most. You know, God has a plan for your life, but so does everybody else. So does everybody else. And so he's held back. He's not sent to the battle where he should have been. He's kind of, well, finally, David, okay, go there. Go there as a messenger boy. Bring this bread and this cheese. Obviously, they were going to have grilled cheese, the Bible says. Every warrior needs some comfort food from home. That's how David is sent into battle in verses 12 through 15. He's not there to be in the army. He's held back. He's delayed from being where he's supposed to be. And there he discovers the Israelites have been listening to Goliath for 40 days and 40 nights coming out and hurling insults against them saying, come on, come on, challenge me. And he finds some people who are discouraged. This is another giant we will face before we get to Goliath is discouragement. Everybody else is scared to death. Everybody's convincing everybody else of how this is impossible. This bully, Goliath, had created a climate of fear in Israel. And some of you, on your, on your Monday through Saturday, you work in a toxic place where there is a bully. And if you're a boss, you're supposed to fix that. If you're a boss, you're not supposed to be that. But that's where David goes, is into a place where a bully has been yelling, and the conventional wisdom says it's crazy to confront him. But David brings a fresh set of eyes, and more than that, he brings, brings a faith. And he listens to Goliath one time, and he already knows. Because he's been listening to God before that. And so he's not going to be discouraged. He's not going to hang around these negative people. You know, if you hang around negative people long enough, if you hang around with fearful people long enough, you're going to get discouraged. And that's a giant to overcome. The third giant that he faces before Goliath is disapproval. His brother questioning his motives. Eliab, David's oldest brother, in verse 28, heard him speaking with the men and he burned with anger at him. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. He demeans, he disregards him, he rejects him. His brother questions his motives. You just want to eat popcorn and watch a battle. You left the sheep with nobody. He doesn't know any of that. He just assumes that. Can any of you relate to this conversation? It's called sibling rivalry. It's a real thing. It's not an ancient thing. They can't imagine you accomplishing something. They think they see you clearly, but they can't see you as God sees you. There's envy. There's jealousy. They don't know God's strength. Sometimes siblings resent our successes. You know, even Jesus had siblings. It's interesting. There's just a few interactions we see in the scripture that Jesus had with his siblings. Wouldn't it be tough to be Jesus' younger brother? I mean, you can't blame anything on him. Mr. Perfect. Mary's not going to believe you. Because she knows who he is. And Jesus had to deal with, with other people's opinion of him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Don't we know his brothers? Don't we know his sisters? Where is this guy? Who is this guy? We have to face the giant of disapproval like Jesus did. We need to face the question when people say, who do you think you are? We need to face those people with the question, it doesn't matter who I think I am, it matters who God says I am. I'm going to let... My God determined the size of my goals. I'm going to set goals that without him, they're going to fail. We need to let the size of our God determine the size of our goals. 
And if God gives you a goal that others are afraid of, you will be misjudged. You'll be often misunderstood. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not my business what you think of me. It's not my business what you think of me. I'm not going to be discouraged. David finds out there is going to be a reward. I'm summarizing a, a long chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David, he says, well, what's going to happen for the guy who kills him? And they say, they say there'll be a reward. The daughter of the king's hand in marriage, pretty good. No taxes for the rest of your life. Very good. Very, very good. That's the reward. And he hears about this after. He's already angry that somebody's defying the people of God. And so he's not discouraged. And fourth, he faces the giant of doubt, Saul the king. The guy who should know. The guy who's the expert. He's the tall one. He's the handsome one. He's the one who's experienced in battle. And he says in verse 32 or 33, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior. He's been a warrior since his youth. You know, experts are often wrong. Rick Warren, who I got some of this outline from for the sermon today, he said that when he brought the book The Purpose Driven Life to an editor... The editor told him, nobody's going to read a book with 40 chapters. I don't know if some of you know, but The Purpose Driven Life is the best-selling book of all time besides the Bible. And here he had somebody say, nah, I don't think this is going to work. The experts are not always right. The experts doubt David's ability. You know, there was a guy named Vivek Randive. He's still alive today. He decided to coach his daughter's basketball team. He grew up in India, didn't know a lot about basketball, but he decided on two things after examining what it would take to be a coach. First, he was not going to raise his voice with these girls. It's little league basketball. He wasn't going to raise his voice. And his second principle after watching the game was that his team would always play a full court press every game, all the time. Because as he watched the sport, he realized that after scoring, most teams retreated back to the other side of the court and only guarded that last 20, 25% of the court. He decided, why don't we guard the whole 100% of the court? And so his girls began to train for the exhaustion that would come from that, for the running that would be necessary. And they started playing teams. And though they were not the strongest, the tallest team, Though they weren't the best dribblers, they would stop that other team sometimes from even inbounding the ball within five seconds like you're supposed to. They would stop the other teams from getting across half court in the 10 seconds that you're supposed to because they would trap those players. And his team ended up at national championships. His, his strategy was so different than what the experts do. And his approach made the difference. The experts are not always right. David has here a confidence in God. I don't think he, he has done the math and said, wow, I'm going to really do something outside of what this heavy infantry guy is going to make me do. I think he's just like, this is what I know how to do, so I'm going to do it. So how did David defeat these giants before he gets to Goliath? Four stones, I guess you could say. He, he used... The truth that God had helped him in the past. He remembered that sometimes it looked like it was the end and it wasn't. Sometimes I felt very alone and I wasn't. God, you were there for me in the small times. I bet you can be there for me in the big times. 
In verse 36, David responds to the king, who's the expert. He says, your servant, he calls himself humbly a servant to the king. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Oh yeah, he goes below the belt because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What he needed to kill Goliath wasn't superior technology or something outside of the box only. He had a superior Lord. And I think many times we forget how difficult this must have looked for David as well. Goliath is described, you know, cubits high or whatever. It, nearly 10 feet is what we can best understand. I've got a picture for you. In the 1987 uh, draft, the Washington Bullets uh, drafted Muggsy Bogues, five foot three, to play alongside Minute Bowl, seven foot seven. You think that picture looks skewed? Nope. That's, that's Minute. That's how thin and tall this guy was. I mean, the, the height difference between these guys was 28 inches. And Manute's only 7'7", seven, seven only, compared to Goliath, two feet taller. David's looking at a situation, but he says, you know what? God has been with me in the past, and I bet he'll be with me in the future. And so he defeats the giants he faces before Goliath. With this faith that says, God has helped me in the past. Second, he defeats these giants before he gets to Goliath with the tools that God had given him now. Many of us were like, I'll achieve what God wants me to achieve when I get the money. When the economy gets better. I'll do this for the Lord when... All of these things on my to-do list get done first. Which we talked about last week is kind of a crazy thought. That our to-do list would ever get done. we got to use the tools that God has given us now. If you're waiting for your ship to come in, why don't you swim out to it? we got to use what God has given us. And many people would try and dress us up so that we will do things the way that they think we should do them. Saul does it here. The king says, hey, okay, well... Uh, why don't you put on my armor? I mean, Saul's got to be thinking maybe like, I'll send this little squirrely kid out. Either A, he'll get a lucky shot in, maybe wound the guy, and I can say, oh man, that wasn't, that wasn't our representative. That was just some kid. He was bringing grilled cheese. He's greasy. He slipped away. He didn't really, we didn't really mean for him to fight Goliath. Or if Goliath kills him, then you go, again, yeah, it was just a little guy. Sorry about that. But Saul dresses his, him in his armor, and David, with a good spirit, puts it on, tries walking around like in, you know, in dad's suit when he's like just a little kid. He says, this stuff doesn't, I can't move in this. Many of us managers, leaders, we micromanage. We say, here's how I do it. Here's how I would do it. If you want to achieve this, you've got to do it this way. You know, the good goal of Christian teaching, preaching, counseling isn't to make us all try and, do, try and do things the same way. We're to be united in spirit and purpose, but it doesn't mean that we have to do what everybody else is doing. What God has called, what God has called other churches to do is not always what he's called our church to do. How God has called you to serve the Lord is not the same as somebody else he's called to serve the Lord, even if it might be in the same way. 
Other people will try to make you do your dream their way. And it's not that we don't receive advice. It's not like David, that we don't humbly give it a whirl, respect the authority that God has placed over us. But we're not them. It's going to fail. Ecclesiastes verse 11 verse 4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. We need to shift from thinking of excuses for why we're not doing what God has called us to do, to shifting to thinking of creative solutions to fulfill the commission God has given us. And so David picks up five smooth stones from the stream. Why five? In case he missed, I guess. I don't know. Some people would say Goliath had four brothers. Cool. But David only needs one. And so he uses the tools that God has given him, and then he ignores the dream busters. He's ignored his, his brothers. He's ignored the king. He doesn't just think positively. 1 Samuel chapter 30, I know this is later on, but we see this in David's character. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Not from singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. But he found strength as he encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you spend time encouraged in the Lord? Do you spend time getting down to the bedrock of life, Jesus Christ? Not just positive thinking. I mean, if, if you have to choose between being negative or positive, go ahead for positive. But he's got something else that helps him ignore the dream busters. It's a relationship with God. And in that relationship, he expects God to get the glory. And this is the, the final way I'll share with you how we destroy those giants. We expect God to help. We expect God to help for his glory. David talks some more smack in verse 45. I don't know if it's trash talk or smack. I, I'm not sure of the definition between the two. But David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Bible not rated PG, not rated PG-13. This gets real. He says, this very day I'll give the carcasses of the whole army, the Philistine army, to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here today will know that it's not by sword or spear or javelin that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. He's got some high expectations for God, doesn't he? What are you expecting God to do in your life? When God steps out of heaven onto earth and performs a miracle, it's usually because somebody believed. The righteous live by faith, the scripture says. 99% of the time, God's going to do what you expect him to do. You don't have the faith that he's going to do anything. He's not going to do it. We have a choice to trust God. I think there's some truth to the statement when God says, I'll, I'll use anybody who will trust me. I, I, I got to think that, that there could have been so many others who, have, who could have taken down Goliath if they would have had this expectation that God would help them for his glory. As we look back to the giants that face other people, have you thought about whether you're a stumbling block for somebody? 
How your unbelief may be limiting somebody you love. Your unbelief may be limiting your spouse, limiting your children. You know, we all have no choice in what talents, what, what, what parts of our personality. There's really a lot in our, in our nature, how we're designed. But we do have the choice to trust God or not. And you know what's exciting to me is this is not the end of David's story. This is just the beginning. When you say yes to God, you go on an adventure with him. Let's pray together. Father, many of us spend our Mondays in some difficult places around some people who we could rightly term as giants. They bring their doubt and their discouragement our way. Father, if you have placed us in roles of leadership, which is to say service, I pray that we would have the courage this week to address the giants. Lord, for those of us who, who have sensed your clear call, but, but the excuses, but the time doesn't seem right, but our energy doesn't seem sufficient, but the people don't seem to agree with your way. Father, would we know, and would you teach us in the weeks to come, would we know what doors you have opened? The scripture says you open doors that nobody can shut. And you can shut doors that nobody can open. So Father, would we learn to trust your direction and your will in our daily lives? Thank you for examples like David in the scripture where, where you come alongside the weak and shame the strong. Where your wisdom surpasses man's wisdom where your glory is sought above all and amazing lives are lived, faith is grown, generations are changed because of obedient people. So God, help us to be obedient in the days to come. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.